0: Welcome to NVIDIA's AI Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ramey, and today we're going to be talking with Lee Redden, co-founder and CTO of Blue River Technology. Will, it's so great to be here. Blue River is focused on AI-powered agriculture, and they're doing some amazing work to improve the lettuce and other crops that we eat, as well as the cotton that you're wearing right now. What kind of scale are you able to do this service on is this something that you know you can do like one row at a time and it takes a couple minutes per per foot or per meter of, of soil? Or how how broadly can this be applied?
1: Yeah, so, so right now, if you have lettuce inside the United States, uh, or lettuce produced inside the United States, there's about a 10% chance that we've done an operation on that lettuce. And that is something I'm so proud about, is being able to go through and, and build a machine and deploy it. And you know now going out to a cafe, you see somebody having a salad, and you know there's a, there's a 10% chance that the code and the machine design that Blue River pushed forward and built is what's affecting that part of the food supply.
0: So the AI-powered, lettuce-growing, lettuce-optimizing solution that you have built is responsible in part for 10% of all the lettuce grown in the United States? Yes, yes. Wow, exactly. that's that's amazing. So is there any uh, thing stopping it from going even further? Is when is it going to reach 50% or 80%? or are there practical concerns uh, so, that are going to, to make that difficult?
1: Yeah, so so it very well could reach much higher percentages. Us as a company uh, looked at lettuce as a perfect place to go through and to build out technology because generally crops grown all over the world are seasonal. And so you'll go through and you'll have three or four week operation window uh, to go through and deploy. Uh, with lettuce, lettuce is harvested every single day of the year inside the United States and And this is because you can't put it on a shelf and then come back later and have anything but a moldy mess. And so it's a perfect testing grounds when you're coming through and building out a technology to, to get that everyday cycle and you really need that to be able to move fast enough to take a technology where generally across the board ag equipment doesn't have as much compute doesn't have as many sensors doesn't have as many cables as the machines that we're building and then go through and run it as a service to make it reliable so right, that right. we can then come through and our next plan is to deploy the machines in cotton fields cotton fields. so cotton years a huge glyphosate-resistant weed problem coming about, and we can take this technology that we've built up and we've made robust in lettuce, and we can then deploy that in cotton, and we can deploy that in other row crops, and we can deploy it in a scale that it's affecting a major land mass, the major land mass of the United States and a major land mass of the world. Wow.
0: Now, in the machines that you're building, in order to have that much artificial intelligence capability, what kinds of computing platforms do you use inside the machines?
1: Yeah, so five years ago, we went out and we realized that we needed a lot of compute. And we went through and and we looked at our different options. And we went with a very beefy I7 processor. And we went through and we tried to embed it and stick it in the machine and make it robust. And it's a processor that just wasn't really made to be robust uh, and put in machines. And then about a year ago, we switched and we started looking at the NVIDIA Jetson platform. Hmm. As a perfect way to go through and to have a ton of compute in a rugged format that was small enough that we could embed and still had all of the nice nice development environments that we needed to be able to run and develop very quickly. And so our new machines are coming out and they're using multiple Jetson TX platforms.
0: So tell me a little bit about your background. How do you come to have this mix of robotics, computer vision, and artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, so I originally, I grew up in Nebraska. My uncle was a farmer. I always enjoyed going out on the farm. From a very young age, you know, deeply respectful of all of these big pieces of machinery that he was running. As an undergrad, I went in and I studied mechanical engineering. And after about my sophomore year, I got to be pretty bored of just making mechanical components. And I joined a robotics lab and started to do a lot more EE work there and did some really cool projects where we built surgical robots and we sent measurement systems out into the world that would measure train track systems and you know collect that data and bring it back in meaningful ways. This was also the beginning of a segue into entrepreneurship where these products that I was working on through this lab, to me it was research uh, and, but the products were going out and they were becoming something more. They were going to go in and affect a surgery. They're going to go in and affect how train companies of Burlington Northern went through and fixed their tracks. Wow. So uh,
0: really affecting people's
1: lives. And what came next? Yeah. So next, I started work. I worked at a couple of different robotics labs. I worked at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, and I worked at NASA Johnson Space Center, uh, some of the world's leading robotics labs. And there I got a real taste for the cutting-edge research. Uh, and that was all before coming to Stanford. When I came to Stanford, I had all my scholarships lined up. I was going to be a heads-down PhD student. Then I had three roommates, and they were all interested in entrepreneurship. And the really cool thing about entrepreneurs is that they're looking at the world and how they can build something and put it out there and affect the world. So through my journey, I was I was in a robotics lab, and about every month or month and a half, I'd go through and I would build the coolest robot that you could imagine. And I would get done and I would show the people around me and they would say, oh, yeah, Lee, this is so cool. I really love this. Uh, and then I would put it on a shelf. What did, then, uh, what did
0: some of those robots do?
1: Uh, they were, I had uh, one which was a miniature version of a CPR. Uh, so you could go through and you could perform CPR and you could feel the diastolic and systolic pressures. I had hands that would go through and do grasping. I had a boat that would drive around one that would shoot water all over the place just you know really cool just projects that you could break out and I was so proud of these and then after about a year and a half I like looked over and I had this huge shelf of just dusty dusty robots (laughs) that weren't doing anything and it really spurred me to go out and see if see if I could build something that wasn't just for me and my friends.
0: And so how um, did that bridge into the
1: origins of Blue River? So through that, I took a class, and I met my uh, my co-founder, Jorge Harab. We went through, it, the class was Lean Startup, taught by Steve Blank, and you, the idea is you start with what your assumptions are, and you lay those out and you apply the scientific method to finding a business. And so anytime you come up with assumptions, you go out into the world and you test those out rigorously before you take that as your building block for the next step. So we were constantly going out. We started with an idea that was a pretty terrible idea, I can say so right now, uh, that we would go through and we'd build an autonomous lawnmower. And (laughs) That sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, big spinning. You you are not the only one to think that that is a very, very terrifying proposition. Big mechanical spinning blades. But... Uh, you know, nobody for us, nobody likes to mow lawns that's that's kind of a constant. With it, nobody's also willing to pay what it would take to have an autonomous lawn mower out in the world. You know, the sensors and the reliability and everything is to be quite high and at that time the you know, the different technology wasn't there to make that a product. Sure, that and makes so, sense. I
0: mean, if you mow your own lawn, you probably only do it once a week or once every two weeks, so it takes a while to pay for itself.
1: Yep. Takes a while to pay for itself, and the the state-of-the-art were $70,000 LiDAR sensors, and if you strap that on your... Two hundred and thirty dollar <laughs> Toro mower. You're just, you're, you're
0: at just such a cost disparity that yeah, it probably not it, a big market opportunity
1: for a seventy thousand dollar <laughs> lawnmower. So where did you take it from there? Then we we went out and we started meeting with farms. And we originally met with a carrot farmer, and he had a big problem with weeds. And he had a, a such a big problem, the company had spent millions of dollars going out and trying to find solutions for all of these small weeds that came up. And if you think about a carrot, a carrot spends all of its effort turning into this beautiful long carrot underneath the ground and not much effort making foliage up top. shade things out. And weeds spend no effort building this root system and all their effort making huge foliage. Oh, so the weeds can
0: just block out the carrots and prevent them from growing as fast or as big as the farmer wants to. So they're like his big enemy.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. These weeds are like a mortal enemy number one of the farmer. And so they do do all kinds of things to try to take care of these weeds. And they had the state of the art. You had kind of two states of the art. Uh, One of them was you'd had a tractor and an implement behind it and you'd carry giant propane tanks and you'd go and you'd light up basically this this huge 20-foot barbecue and you'd drive it through the field and you'd burn hopefully just the weed but you'd also burn part of the
0: carrot. And Whoa, you, uh, this is like just the, the picture in my mind is this thing is like a
1: flamethrower. You had a giant 20-foot wide flamethrower oh that they put through the field. And wow. This is this is the city art. this is where you know, if you have carrots today, there's decently likelihood that a big flamethrower came by and was used to exterminate some of the neighboring weeds.
0: So carrot farmers have to use this uh, scorched earth approach to fighting off all the enemy weeds. What were you able to do with carrot farmers or how did that
1: work out? I, so we we took that idea and then we continued to drill down and to find the carrot farming wasn't wasn't quite perfect for us. And so we continued to roll through different farms until uh, we found we went through onions and tomatoes and we got to lettuce. So you, know, you
0: went through the whole salad and then you went back to the base <laughs> the common ingredient that every salad has to have and the chose
1: common, Yeah, and we we ended up on lettuce as the business that we were going to first uh, kind of our beachhead business to build out this technology in and so we we started we struck out Jorge and I and to build these lettuce thinning machines and lettuce
0: thinning machines. Why, yeah. why do what's the difference between thinning thin lettuce and fat lettuce or thick oh, lettuce?
1: De- <laughs> very, <not> sure. very <laughs> complex. Yeah, the, uh, is this is so diet lettuce. What are we talking about here? this is, uh, this is so if you have a, if you have a home garden, uh, what you'll often do is you'll go out into the back and you'll put in two or three or four seeds and you'll pat it down and water it, and then maybe one plant comes up.
0: Yeah, we and, do this with my kids and it's always a mystery like sometimes one comes up, sometimes two comes up, actually more often none comes up and you have this sort of weird ragged look to your backyard garden but the lettuce is still delicious.
1: The lettuce is still delicious and uh, but the, the germination rates are not 100%. So every seed you put in the ground has, you know, in uh, in home gardens it's maybe like a 30 or 40% chance uh, for this industrial scale ag maybe it's a 60 or 70 percent chance uh, because they control the, the properties much better uh, but it's still 60 or 70 percent so if you went into a field and you put a seed exactly where you wanted a plant to grow up and you then went out to that field post germination you'd have 30 or 40 percent of your field barren, and mm. that's that's not what you want in a in a you know really industrial ag setting and So what they do is, if they want ten inch spacing, they'll go put seeds at two inches, and then they'll keep the one, uh, the closest one to ten, in the future, and so they'll kill the rest.
0: Wait, so I want to make sure I understand this. They plant. Way more seeds, like almost 10 times more seeds than they need. And then they go through and remove the extra ones that they don't want. So there's enough space for the lettuce to grow up in like a perfect checkerboard pattern. Exactly. And how do they decide that it's 10 inches versus five inches versus whatever? And who actually like who decides which lettuce gets to live? This is a life and
1: death situation. (laughs) This is a a life and death situation. Yeah, so in America, you'll have crews who come out and they'll do the thinning operation. In Europe, what they do is they plant a stand. Uh, In other countries, they they don't grow lettuce at all because of uh, different dietary things. And uh, and it turns out California is the perfect area to grow lettuce because you have a lot of sun and it's also cold. So down in Salinas Valley, you have all this air coming off, and that prevents mildew and and those different components growing up in lettuce. Uh, For us, as a technology company coming into the space, uh, we're building a product that has never really existed before. You know, we're taking computers and huge amounts of computing and putting those on implements, And, you know, if you look at uh, even the like the latest and greatest tractors and harvesters and sprayers, uh, they're coming with very small processors, you know, just a couple cores, not very fast. And for us to do real time computer vision in the field, uh, we're deploying just huge amounts of compute out there. So so
0: the lettuce farmers plant more seeds than they need, and then they have this challenge of removing all the extra ones or thinning out their lettuce crop. And today they have people who, what, walk through the fields with rulers, kind of measuring and and removing the extra lettuce or something. But now Blue River has this new AI-powered technology that allows you to do, do what? How do you actually tackle this problem?
1: So we take take these implements, uh, so we'll show up at a field with a truck, trailer, tractor implement combination. We'll roll off the tractor implement and we'll drive through and we have these individual modules that at the very front, we have a camera, a downward facing camera that's using computer vision and machine learning to, in real time, detect every plant in the image and pull out a couple of parameters about it. Then that goes through a piece of code we like to we call the jury because this is what's deciding what lives and what dies. And it runs it through an optimization algorithm for which plants to keep and which ones to kill. And post that it goes through and uh, we spray a fertilizer to kill the weeds and uh, and to kill the extra lettuce. Uh, what this does is you wait, know, wait. I have thing. to I
0: have to ask a question here because you just said fertilizer kills weeds, and I thought fertilizer was what I use in my garden to make all the plants grow. It's the weeds seem to like it too.
1: Normally, when you apply a fertilizer, you apply it and into the root system. Uh, when we go through, we apply the fertilizer to the foliage. What this causes is for the plant to dry up and to die and so uh, in the mode that we're applying it it causes the plants that we apply it to to die while the neighboring plants the lettuce plants that we want to you know to continue to grow i then have this extra fertilizer to that goes through the root system and uh, they grow up a little bit a little bit a few days faster and a little bit healthier
0: i see so it's kind of the best of both worlds but you just explained earlier that there's lettuce plants are really close together. How do you get just the right amount of fertilizer on the plants that you want to kill, but not damage the lettuce that's going to grow up into something that goes into my salad from the supermarket
1: yeah so we've as part of this we've we've built out a technology that we can spray and we can precisely apply fertilizer within a centimeter in this field going six miles per hour and what that enables us to do is to go through and pick out the exact plant that we want to keep and the weed or the extra lettuce plant that we want to kill and spray just the plant that we want to kill while leaving the plant that we want to keep. And why this is such a big deal, this application system is currently in ag, how chemicals are applied from machines is broadcast spraying. And so you'll go through your field, you'll turn on one set of nozzles and you'll spray the entire field with exactly the same chemical. Maybe you're varying it like Slightly 10%, 15% as you go through, but each adjacent plant is getting the pretty much the exact same treatment. And with our technology, we've gone through and we've identified and picked out both from a parameter point of view, you know, health of the plant, size, a placement of the plant using the computer vision machine learning side, and then that feeds in. To the actuation side, where we are able to actuate and apply a chemical with this centimeter level accuracy. So we can really go through and we can treat each plant individually. We can come up with a prescription on a per plant basis and do what we like to call plant by plant care. And what this does is it brings back to ag, the type of care that used to happen when my grandparents were farmers. And when my grandma used to be on a farm with 32 acres and she would walk through and during harvest, she'd be able to check each plant and harvest only the ones that were ripe at that time and go through and kill individual weeds. Uh, What this does is this brings that sort of level of care and that sort of level of precision back to the farm And so they have this new option now with Blue River to be able to thin out their lettuce plants. It's it's an opportunity that we are really, really excited about. Wow. So
0: you've been able to apply artificial intelligence through machine learning, deep learning approaches to understand visually exactly where each plant is as the tractor drives through the field, and use that understanding to deliver, I'd say, targeted micro doses of fertilizer to kind of optimize the placement of the lettuce that's then going to grow up and have all the nutrients in in the soil. That's, That's amazing. When you think about the future of agriculture and the impact that the work Your company is doing. What do you see happening? You've you've sort of tackled lettuce now. You've set your sights on cotton.
1: Where do you see this all going? I see that the machines are going to become smarter and smarter, and that they're going to drive towards taking action on a more individual plant basis. And you know, that's kind of what needs to happen in agriculture to continue to become more efficient with both the land use the product use, the machinery use, to and to have higher yields coming out. And We've had generations of, if you look at some of the major landmarks in ag, uh, you start with when people went from using horses and plows to starting to use diesel engines and gas engines and tractors. Uh, you then get into chemical revolution where you start to deploy nitrogen and fertilizers and different chemicals to control weeds, then you go into a biotech space where you're having genetically modified crops and even if it's not a GMO, it's being highly studied and checked out from the DNA and, and very selectively bred to now... What is the digital revolution? In that you can have pieces of equipment that go through, and they know about the chemistry, they know about the plants, they know about its environment, and they're able to act. Uh, They're able to sense that and act on an individual plant basis, and that's a it's a really powerful switch because. And when you look at the trends, you know everything follows an S curve. Uh, Nothing nothing goes through this. Know, exponential forever uh, curve. Otherwise, it you know it uh So in this whole series of S curves, you know the tractor plateaus out at a certain point. The and the use of the gains that you get from gas engines over time, and the gains that you get from chemistry over time plateaus out. And the gains that you get from from the bio revolution plateaus out, and really at the beginning of the digital revolution, where, you know, machines are having this capability that that they didn't have before. And you you see it in a lot of industries, you see it in, uh, there's a lot of talk around autonomous driving. Uh, There's a lot of talk about you know, just autonomous robots in general going out and having better perception in the world and being able to then act in the world. And this is, this is the place from both the technology point of view and from where agriculture is on the other S-curves.
0: Wow. So it sounds like AI-powered agriculture is going to allow us to feed more people more efficiently with lower impact on the environment. And that all, sounds, that all sounds great. Lee, where can people find out more about you and your company online?
1: Uh, so they could go to BlueRiverTea.com uh, or they could check us out on Twitter at Blue River Tech.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today and I've enjoyed our conversation. And I'm looking forward to even more benefits of AI-powered agriculture in the future.
1: Thank you so much, Will. It's great uh, great to chat with you today.